people of Earth. We have come to upgrade your cosmic consciousness. DNA activation ready. In three, two, one. Hi, welcome to Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership. I'm Craig Anderson. And I'm Lou Quinto. Lou, today we have a great interview. We are going to be talking with Tracy Miller. She is a self-worth coach and wealth strategist with her company, Pink Powerhouse. And we are going to be talking about imposter syndrome. Are you ready for that today, Lou? Yes, I am definitely ready to learn more about imposter syndrome. It's, uh, it's an intriguing subject. Uh, it's one that uh, I think our listeners will find that uh, it's, it's not uh, corporate related. It's more personal related. And if you're looking at developing yourself, uh, you need to figure out if you suffer from imposter syndrome. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump right into our interview with Tracy Miller. Okay. Well, here we are with our guest today, Tracy Miller. Uh, she is a coach and strategist and someone I've had the opportunity to work with and associate with and some other groups that I am part of. So Tracy, welcome to Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership. Thank you very much, Craig. It is an honor to be here with you and Lou both. Well, you may be the first person who said it was an honor. We shall see. We may that'll be our takeaway question at the end, Luke. Do you still feel it was an honor? <laughs> so, well, Tracy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Because you have a great story. Okay, so a little bit about me. Um, I am a self worth coach and a wealth strategist. And I am the CEO of the Pink Powerhouse Company. That is the name of my brand. And what I do is I help women predominantly in the multi-six to seven-figure income bracket to dig deeper and figure out what is holding them back from maintaining or increasing their level of wealth. And predominantly for women, it is usually linked to self-worth issues. So I don't think that you can do one without the other for women specifically. In brief, that is me in a nutshell. So, Well, that's perfect because we are, be are going to spend some time talking about this. And Lou and I were talking before the show about imposter syndrome. And I crumbled under the weight of imposter syndrome multiple times in my career. And Lou said, what's imposter syndrome? I've never had that. Well, I, 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 when you were describing it, I, you know, being able to feel comfortable sitting at the table with, this, with people who were more powerful than you are and your perception was, you know, you were an imposter. You didn't belong there. Yeah. And I just made the quick reference that, you know, my first job out of college at 25 years old, I was executive director of an educational foundation in Memphis, Tennessee, and I had university presidents on my board, the president of Avis Rental Car uh, and other high powered folks. Uh, and I never felt like I didn't belong there. Now, to follow up. <laughs> maybe they thought I was an imposter, but in my mind, I didn't think I was an imposter. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, well, why don't we start, Tracy, give us a quick overview. I know we're going to dive deeper into it as we go on, but give us a quick overview of what imposter syndrome is. Okay. So um, imposter syndrome was actually identified in 1978 
by two female psychologists named Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes. And obviously, being women in the 70s, they probably predominantly had women clients at the time. So it started out to be a belief that only women suffered from imposter syndrome, which has since been debunked. But it is the overall feeling that you have succeeded due to luck and not because of your talent or qualifications. Now, if you think back to when this was identified in 1978, this was the beginning stages of women actually entering the workforce in droves. So this was, you had your latchkey kids coming on the scene. You had the moms wanting to go into work and the beginnings of the two income families. So it makes sense that women who used to stay at home did not feel qualified to be in the job settings compared to their male counterparts. So that's the brief history of imposter syndrome. And right now, the way that it sits is that they have guesstimated that approximately 70% of the world's population, both men and women, do suffer from some form of imposter syndrome at some point in their life. It's kind of like an ebb and a flow, depending on the situation you find yourself in, and compared to who you're comparing yourself to. Hmm. Interesting. So, so initially, it was just considered a a a woman's issue, not necessarily a man's issue. Now, early when you introduced yourself, Tracy, you said that uh, uh, you you deal you work with women. Do you do you also have men clients? I do not know. Okay. All right. Is it because men still? don't want to, like with other maladies that we have, we don't like to admit to those maladies. Uh, It's like, you know, when you get sick, uh, a woman will be the first one to go to the doctor immediately. And a guy will wait till his arm is hanging off before they go to the doctor. Is that the same way it is with, with the imposter syndrome? Um, I'm not sure about that. For me, particularly, the reason why I actually chose to work with women is because I actually myself have a very masculine energy about me, even as a woman. Okay. So um, a little bit of very brief history. My um, biological father walked out on my mom and my sister and I. And so my grandfather stepped into the role that my father had vacated. So I grew up with little work boots on and safety glasses and learning how to plumb walls and change oil and change tires. So I do not um, get into the touchy-feely things the way that most women do. So most women are actually attracted to me because they want the male energy that I exude. So that's why I chose to work with female clients. Okay. Interesting perspective. Is Is it something that most women know that they, and, and I'll use the word, but in, in a very nice way, suffer from? Um, most women, I would say, think that they are an imposter, but don't fully understand it. Okay. Because they hear the general term tossed around and 
You know, it's kind of almost like a catchphrase nowadays where people say everybody has imposter syndrome. Do you suffer from imposter syndrome? Do you have imposter syndrome? Do you feel like a fraud? And it's almost to the point where they just say, yes, I do, because they want to fit in. So they may not fully understand even right. whether they do or they don't or to what extent. Right. Right. So, so are, are there, how does one recognize, I'm going to go back to basics. Okay. I don't want to fit into the group. In fact, when I hear imposter syndrome, the word imposter to me is just a negative word. And I am not going to readily in front of a group say, oh yeah, I suffer from mm-hmm. imposter syndrome too, because I, it's just negative for me. How does one know that perhaps they are afflicted with this imposter syndrome? Well, it's interesting that you ask that. And this is probably one of those reasons why they believed initially, and even to some extent still do today, that more women suffer from it. Because if you look at it and take it apart, it actually is applicable to anyone who is not able to internalize and appreciate their own success and self-validation which most women cannot do that. And most men do not have a problem doing that. So it then shows up as most women do feel some sort of imposter syndrome and most men actually don't. And it goes a step further because they believe that it is, um, if you look at the examples that they give, most of the time it's associated with how you feel about something which then goes back to your beliefs that establish your feelings. And most men, again, do not necessarily in a leadership position identify with how they feel. They're more into facts and figures and getting the job done where women are all about their feelings. So again, it's the, it's the proverbial balance and ebb and flow of the way that society has created our gender um, what's the word I'm looking for? Assignment standards. Yeah, yeah, right. Standards. Exactly. Standards that apply to most people. Right. Right. Okay. Craig, jump in with a question. Yeah, I know you're dying. Well, it's interesting when you think about it, you know, cause I was actually a person who I dealt with it a lot over the course of my career, largely because I had an English degree and ended up hiring, you know, in education finance, working for JP Morgan and Sally May and sitting around with the table with all these people at Harvard MBAs and all these things. So it was always a question of that. But I wonder, Lou and I, Tracy, have talked a lot in past episodes about kind of what we're looking for leaders to be going forward. So the leaders you're describing, right, are those, you know, prototypical, classical, type A, male leaders, you know, disc profile Ds who are just in your face, driving, driving. But we've talked about a shift in leadership where I think we have said, or guests have said, or Lou has said, or one of us has said that, you know, the crucial criteria for leaders in the future is going to be empathy. So when we start shifting away from kind of that D-driven leader towards more SC leaders or more empathic, empathy-driven leaders, what do you think is going to happen with kind of that balance? Will we start seeing a shift where maybe more men will at least admit it? Because 70% is a big number. Well, and Yes, it is. And I believe for a couple of reasons that more men are going to talk about it and admit it. One of them being is the increase in single parent homes where the mother is raising the children. 
So you are going to have a lot more males that are raised by single female women. They're going to identify more with their feelings because it's going to be more okay without the male counterpart telling them, no, it's not okay to feel what you feel. So I think that's one of the big shifts that we're going to see. But the other part of it is in today's human to human connection roles and the way that business is going where people do business with people is that um, women bring an honesty and a vulnerability to it that most men don't allow themselves to bring always because again of how they were raised. And I think that maybe not even this generation that's predominantly in the workforce, but maybe the um, millennials might not have that. They might shift more to only, you know, 50% instead of 70% feeling like imposters because people are going to get to be more honest and open with each other. And when you do that, you also break down the comparison, which is where some of the imposter syndrome stems from is comparing yourself to everybody else. So when you talk about how you feel and someone else says, hey, I feel the same, you no longer feel like you don't fit in. You actually feel like you do fit in. So I think that number is going to go down over time when we just start getting honest and having real conversations. Yeah. Okay. I've got a question and it's twofold and it's probably going to take up the rest of our time together here, Tracy. Uh, and And that is, first of all, just for our viewers and listeners, imposter syndrome is some, it's, it's an affliction that we we experience mentally. So, you know, you, you can call it psychological. It, it, I'm, it, I'm sure that's what it is. It's all psychological. And so we're dealing a little bit with the individual psyche. And now with the imposter syndrome, to give everyone the idea a little bit, if you could go through and you've got, you've got the soloist, you've got the perfection, you've got the Superman or superwoman in that particular regard. Uh, you've got the natural genius and the last one I've tried, the expert. Okay. Could you quickly go through those five, uh, I'll I'll call them stereotypes for imposter syndrome to give people first the opportunity to evaluate in their mind after listening or while listening to us talk, if maybe that's the, the imposter syndrome that they have? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it is um, rooted in psychology. That's where it came up with. So right. it is all in your mind in essence. And that's a simplified way to put it. Right. But um, I am going to start with the one that I actually identify with the most, which is the soloist. (laughs) And in all of these, I'm going to preface by saying that they are all rooted in the basis of feeling shame around something. That is how the psychologists identified them was because they started seeing patterns of shame developing and then grouped them together. So the soloist has a shame in asking for and or needing help. So your soloist is the one who has to do it themselves. They need to do it themselves. They don't want anyone helping them. Even if you offer to help, they'll say, no, I got it. And the um, flip side of that being is that they are the first person who then offers help though to other people and is very good at delegating in their tasks. So most people don't recognize that they're soloists because they feel like, well, if I'm delegating, I'm working with people, but it's more, 
it's a finer line than that. Right. So the um, second one is the perfectionist. And this one is like a hot button for women, especially um, women who have children, because they feel like they have to do it all. They have to do it right. And it has to be done to a certain standard. And this, I think, goes back to um, the June Cleaver days, for lack of a better comparison, in the okay. June okay. Cleaver. Real, real quickly, describe who June Cleaver is because we do have younger okay. listeners. Craig might uh, need to know. Craig, do you know who June Cleaver is? You, Wally and the Beeb, yeah. <laughs> right. So June Cleaver was a character in what the 50, late 50s, early 60s, somewhere Correct. in there yeah. on television who always, her husband came first, then her children, and then herself, but she was always dressed to the nines, even if she was scrubbing toilet. <laughs> vacuum. And, I remember her vacuuming the floors in her pearls. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So she had a very, very high expectation of herself. So when I think of perfectionism, I think of actually June Cleaver because okay. she always said the right thing. She always said it in the right tone of voice and she never looked down on anyone. And it just, it was always Perfect. It was the perfect family in the perfect house in the perfect suburb. And that's what perfectionism really is, is kind of creating an unrealistically high expectation to do it right all the time, which is unsustainable. Right. And and with June, I mean, she even treated, you know, Eddie Haskell uh, Mm -hmm. very nicely when he was just like an irritant. (laughs) Right, right. To have her patience, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She and Eddie Haskell and Lumpy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I'm really showing my age. I can go through the characters. <laughs> okay. Right. So that's the perfectionist. Okay. Right. So um, the Superman or Superwoman, uh, they find shame in having free time or participating in self-care. So they find a lot of pride in how much can they accomplish, hence the superpower personality, if you will. So they push themselves to succeed at everything, whether it is sports, whether it is academics, whether it is leadership, whether it is driving a car, it doesn't matter. They want to be the top of the top. So they take perfectionism down a notch, but then broaden it where they want to succeed at everything. Right. Then you have um, the genius and this is the natural genius. So this is the person who feels shame in not mastering something for the first time. They feel as though if they do something once, they should be a master at it right then and there. So if they feel that they are struggling through something, that is where they find shame in the struggle itself. It's not in wanting to learn it. They don't care. They think they should just know it. That is the genius. Right. Is that why, Craig, your Mensa application keeps getting rejected? No. (laughs) My Mensa application was accepted. I just couldn't accept it. (laughs) Okay. So we got the genius. And then the last one is the expert. Yes. And um, I find it ironic, actually, that in today's day and age, we actually focus on becoming first Mm -hmm. because it's 
also an imposter syndrome characteristic. So the expert is shame, finds shame in not knowing the answers. So they are always seeking to know the information and it is in how much they know. So they want to go deep. They want to know all of the answers to everything. And what we see in society, how the expert shows up is in procrastination. That is how people actually know that they have that is because they procrastinate because they think that there's something else that they should know before they move forward. And it's like a never ending rabbit hole of information, especially in today's day and age of technology. So those are the five characteristics, generalities, what you will with, you know, how they grouped them anyways. Right. Okay. All right. Good, good. Go ahead, Craig. I see you got something. No, well, so so I guess then, so, and this was interesting to me because I've looked a lot and written a lot about imposter syndrome, but I've never really broken them down into those kind of five archetypes. So, you know, it kind of begs the question, unless I'm getting to where you were going, Lou, or if you had something else before we get there. But no, no, I'll see where you go. What do we do? You know, is this like a therapy thing? Is this where a coach can help you out? Is this you know, just snap a rubber band on your wrist every time you feel that way. What do we do to try and get over this? Because I would imagine for a lot of people, this can be pretty debilitating. Um, it can be. So the first thing is awareness. That's the first thing. And given the fact that it's a psychological term, I am going to go so far as to say that the majority of these are rooted in some sort of trauma that you may or may not be aware of that you suffered from that happened to you usually between the age of zero to 11 in the very formative years of your childhood. So that's where usually most of these show up as the trigger, if you will, of how a person grows up to manifest one of these personalities, for lack of a better explanation of how I think of it. And um, so the first thing is to be aware, to figure out which there's, you usually have two that lead the pack. So there's usually two of them that you identify with that you flip between. And you usually have a tertiary third one that may show up every once in a while, but there's usually the three of them are running the show. So you need to be aware of how it shows up. The second thing then that I believe is that you look at your beliefs, like why do you feel that way? And this is, you know, rooted in the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The humanistic approach of the way that society is today in the fact that your beliefs are built up over a period of time. So you are aware that this is how you show up in life, but then you need to look at, well, why do I show up in life that way? So again, it's identifying then what caused your beliefs to begin with. So it's not necessarily dwelling on the trauma that produced what you now see in your life, but it's being aware of it and recognizing it and knowing that you actually have a choice to make a different meaning out of what happened to you as a child. Because you couldn't do anything then, but you're an adult now and you can actually control your thoughts. 
So it's identifying the belief that is underlying it. And then it is communication. It's communicating this is the story that used to be my story. And this is what I'm now turning it into. This is how I have shown up in the past. And this is why. And it's not a um it's not a way for us to excuse anything that happened to us because we can't change the past, but it's where do we go from here? Yes, this happened, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in what happened to you as a child. You don't have to stay in anything. You can choose to go the other direction. That's where you started, but where are we going with this? So it's having the conversations with the people around you. So as an example, if I were to come to you, Craig, and I were to say to you, Craig, I see that you are an expert at XYZ. Do you think you have time to hop on a phone call? Believe it or not, that is my soloist showing up because for me, I cannot say the words very easily, Craig, can you help me? So it's having that recognition in myself to tell people that I work with on a regular basis, I find it difficult to ask for help. I find it difficult to say, I need your help. So if I ask for your help, it's going to be in a more roundabout way, or it's going to be in a more of a delicatory way. So it's just having the conversations with the other people that you work with on a regular basis, and then doing the best you can in your relationship with that person to work through the struggle or the shame or the uncomfortableness that you know is there and has been there because you're obviously not going to overcome it in a short period of time. So it's just, in my opinion, awareness, identifying your beliefs, and then communication. I think it literally is as simple as that and yet not as easy as that. Tracy, everything you've talked about, I mean, you've put in reference to imposter syndrome. I've experienced with another experience in my life where I've had to go through that same thing. And uh, the important, the most important part for me was the communication aspect. Once I had become aware, I had figured out why I was, why I was doing what I was doing. And then there's that communication gap. And I, unfortunately, I I did go to a therapist uh, to deal with this situation. I was 50 years old at the time. It was a major significant, you know, step in my life that, that I was making. And this therapist gave me a book and the book was called When You're Falling, Dive. And it was written in 2000, I believe six or eight by an author, Mark, Mark Matusek. And he takes the premise of it almost like when you're falling in life and don't try to get back to where you were. Mm-hmm be like an Olympic diver and dive to where you want to go. And so the, the part of the remedy would be very much the, you know, the, the title of this book for a lot of the people that you're talking about that have this uh, syndrome. And I think Craig, you were getting to this a little bit is what do we do about it? It's you need to make, because it is psychological, you've got to deal with it yourself. Uh, and you've got to get to the point where you know where you're going to land up once you've done what you just described. So it, I, I, 
I think that's incredible. Yep. Yeah. So, I, okay, go ahead. Um, I would go so far also to say that depending on you personally, you know, a therapist may be the right choice. A coach may be the right choice. That was um, my next question. Where do we go for help except for professional therapy? Yes. Um, a lot of coaches um, depends. Personally, I think that it is more about the relationship that you have with the person who you're asking for help or seeking help from is more important than them necessarily being an imposter syndrome, quote, expert mm -hmm. or specializing in it. Because ultimately, we can all identify, if we dig deep enough as humans, we can all identify with one of them at one point in our life. And it's actually just identifying where you want to go. So it's not necessarily focusing on where you are, which is why I say you don't necessarily need an imposter syndrome expert, but you do need someone who is an expert at being aspirational and inspirational. And that may be a therapist, it may be a coach, it may be both. And it depends on you and your situation. Maybe you haven't worked through all of the trauma yet and the therapist is the better choice. Maybe you have worked through the trauma and the coach is the better choice. It comes back to the whole self-awareness is yeah. you have to know where you're at in your point of awareness or beliefs or just communication and moving forward to know which of the solutions is the best one for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, and some of the work I've had with clients on this and some of the writing I've done about it too, a lot of it is someone who can help ask you the question, you know, what's your basis for feeling like that? You know, and, and right. a lot of people who are dealing with this will have promotions and raises and acknowledgements. And they're really, you know, the, the underlying feeling is I am just waiting for them to figure out, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And that's really what sits behind it. So when imposter syndrome says you don't belong to have a seat, you don't belong at that table. The question is, why? You know, what signals are you getting? Who has said that to you? And some, you know, so much of it resides in our head for some of the reasons you've outlined. It's really kind of asking those questions. So a coach, a therapist, or even really a good friend who you trust and it can be someone who can hold you accountable to these things is also another solution. So it's it's really such a weird thing because everything to the contrary points out that you shouldn't feel that way, yet you still feel that way. So it's a really interesting struggle. Right. Yeah. And it's it brings me to the question then that I always think, which is, well, why shouldn't we feel that way? Like we gave it meaning. We ourselves gave meaning to something which then perpetuates the feeling. So why shouldn't I feel like that? Like, okay, so I feel like that. So what? That doesn't make me deflective, which is what a lot of people automatically think, which is why um, the feeling like a fraud, the, uh, the wording of that comes into play is feeling like you don't belong. Well, you do belong. You belong because you're a human. I mean, it literally should be as simple as that. We're all human with feelings. We've all been through shit and let's just work together and accomplish everything that we are setting out to do together and be done with it. But obviously because we're human, it's not that simple. So, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, 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 having raised two daughters, I can probably count on two hands, if not more, the times that I may have alluded to the fact or hinted at, you know, that that's that's not a woman's place or that's not a woman's job. Or when I talk to them, that girls don't do that. Mm-hmm. And I can see now I'm going to be paying for more therapy sessions once my oldest daughter sees this video, because now I'm admitting blame for some of her insecurities. Oh, uh, yes. And so because I know that my daughter, my oldest daughter, especially suffers from imposter syndrome. She's got the potential to do so many things. But when she gets in a situation, she can clam up and I can see it in her. And it's like, Caitlin, take charge. And she she's just learning to get through that. And she's going to be 30 years old next year. So great. Now I've got more bills to pay. <laughs> and, but, you know, okay, I, I, The irony in what you said is that um, you're telling her to take charge. Right. And you're a man. And what actually needs to happen is that more women need to be the example that shows other women how to take charge. Yep. So coming from a man, it's not that it's falling on deaf ears, but her first thought, whether she recognizes it or not, is, but you're a man, dad, you don't get it. Right. So even coming from you, knowing it's coming from a place of love, she still has that reservation like, but you don't know what I feel like. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, trust me, I've heard whatever out of her mouth a lot, <laughs> but, but that's that, that, I mean, what you're talking about it, it is I, I really like, because I'm really uh, enthralled and attracted to, for instance, uh, to programs like Mika Brzezinski has know your value. And she mm-hmm. travels around the country with successful women and they have these conferences and, and, and they have women talking to other women and saying what you just, told me my daughter would hear better coming out of you know a a woman's mouth than dad's mouth mm-hmm. yes absolutely and it's you know that is the um i guess next step in the journey of my company itself is because i like you lou have daughters but i have four of them right and so um i recognized one day that i had become um the proverbial mediocre mom I had put everyone else first and I had actually came to the truth that I had actually shown my daughters how to be mediocre women. And that was very eye-opening because I didn't set out to do that. But again, I wasn't raised with the example of how not to do that. Right. So I think it's, you know, linking arms with other very powerful women in the world and getting out there on the stages and getting out there and being seen and, you know, promoting the fact that even though it's scary from a woman's perspective to stand on the stage alone, you're not really alone, which is how a lot of women view it, because we've always been taught to link arms and go places together with other women. Right. You know, we go to the bathroom together, for God's sake. You know, it's we've never been told, go out and take what you want the way men have. 
And so it is a learning experience for all of us. And I think that the more that we see women taking leadership roles and saying, it's okay to stand by yourself for an hour on a stage and be an example and be inspirational, you're going to see more and more women taking up that message in their own way. And I think that one of the most positive things to come out of the election here in the U.S. is the female vice president. Absolutely. I was going to say that. Yeah, literally love her particularly or hate her. It doesn't matter. Right. It's the fact that she is the visible example that women worldwide are seeing for the first time in the United States. Yeah. And it is you can't undo that. Yeah. And, and isn't so, it funny, though, there have been leaders of other countries who have mm-hmm. been women going back to the, the 70s, Golda Meir of, of Israel. I, I mean, but the United States, it's 2020 before we elected a woman that high up in our government, which yeah. just it just it, it baffles me to no end. Well, and I think that what plays into that also, though, is who you had as the front runners for the president. And if you look at who they are, predominantly white, older gentlemen, that plays a lot into it, whether we care to admit it or not, and whether we want to talk about it or not, it's still, it's the reality of life in the United States. And, you know, thankfully that's changing. And, you know, I hope that I live long enough to see a woman president. I don't know that it's going to happen in my lifetime. But, you know, I am here now at this point to make my legacy for my daughters. You know, so it's just every little bit and every little step that a woman takes is that much better for the next woman. Right. Okay. I've got one more question, Craig. Can I jump in? Okay. I was going to take a takeaway. So you go. Yeah. Okay. The, the 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 final question I want to have is: We talked about taking this from a personal aspect. I have to understand it first. I've got to seek help, whether through coaching, therapy, whatever. Now let's talk a little about about businesses. Okay? okay. I'm say I have a staff, and on that staff I have women who I know, for some reason, they're not they're not really reaching their potential or they're not throwing themselves into that leadership role. But I can't go up and say, you have imposter syndrome. (laughs) Okay. And so this isn't a training program that companies can offer. And hopefully the people that you want to be aware of it, sit through that training program and a light bulb goes off and says, Ooh, it's me. I would say that this identification needs to happen in a very strong succession planning program where companies are looking at individual resumes, experiences, and they are moving people like on a chessboard for management positions to say, okay, I'm going to move, you know, this person over to here, but in order for me to move them, they've got to have this experience, that experience. And we do get into, I'll call them the soft skills, And Mm -hmm. a lot of the what you're talking about, leadership skills, being empathetic, communication, those are soft skills, which many companies don't see money in soft skill training. Mm 
In fact, we've joked on previous podcasts that soft skills should be called hard skills because you truly do need those hard skills uh, of interpersonal relationships and communication skills and critical thinking. And the, those are areas that, that really need to be involved. So what do you recommend from your position? You got 90 seconds. <laughs> Give everyone the right answer. What can okay. companies do or are leaders currently in leadership roles in company who know that a woman should be taking their place? And there's two of them right there but they don't want to step forward. Okay, so to that, I would say that you need to create an environment in which women feel as though they are seen and heard. And that is the short answer. Women want to be seen and heard. And however that looks for your individual company obviously is going to be different from somebody else's company, depending on the, um, the industry you're in. So as an example, my husband owns a manufacturing company and he would agree with you that the soft skills are actually the hard skills because he would rather hire somebody who has the soft skills and train them to run the machine the right way, the way he wants it run, than get somebody who has the hard skills, who's an ass. Like literally. So I get it. It's just knowing what you want and where you want your company to go. And then saying to the women verbally, I see you and I know that you can do this. And the next step is you need to believe in yourself. And some of that may come down the pike as we get um, more relaxed in recognizing a general sense of mental health in wellness programs that come in companies. So, you know, that may be a couple of years still in the making, but just recognizing that women want that recognition, even though they should have self-worth, we still are wired to get the external validation from men, whether we want it or not, whether we like it or not, this is just how society has created us to be. Right, okay. Which is sad. Well, it's getting better though. So that's, you know, it's a good thing. Bringing all of this to light, even though we feel bad about it, and even though we are where we are, it's bringing it to light in conversations like this that take it to the next step. Right. You know, that bring it into the conversation. Yep. Yep. Good. Okay. Well, we've now come to the time for key takeaways. So Lou, what is your key takeaway? My key takeaway is, Tracy, you have been seen and heard today. That is for sure. <laughs> and uh, I, I truly believe more men need to see women and listen to women and not jump over them and, and interrupt and, and things that our society has taught us is okay. And yeah, I find myself you know, surrounded by women sometimes. And I just, I literally have to say to myself, bite my tongue and say, Lou, shut up and listen, Lou, shut up and listen, because society has taught me that I can jump in and over, uh, you know, particularly a woman and it's it, not a good thing. So Tracy seen and heard. That's my key takeaway. All right. Well, I have nothing so momentous, but I do for me, it's really this idea of really digging into it. And, and you really brought to me the idea of the archetypes. I'd never really heard that piece of this in my research into imposter syndrome. And I think that goes a long way to helping us see some of the signs in ourselves 
and hopefully our viewers to see it in themselves to realize that that may be what's going on with them and they need to maybe find some opportunities to get some help to work through the imposter syndrome. How about you, Tracy? What's your key takeaway today? My key takeaway today is that uh, Craig and Lou are two very open-minded white gentlemen. That is my key takeaway. Oh, throw old in there. Go ahead. You can throw old in there. Uh, <laughs> <no>. really old. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. We appreciate that. We try to be open-minded. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, I thank you very much. You're welcome. So Tracy, where can people find you if they'd like to get in touch with you and you kind of struck a chord in them? They're like, wait, that, I am really that person she's talking about. I would love to talk with her more about it. How do they find you? Okay, so um, I intentionally do not have a website. So I do that because I don't want somebody getting stuck in a funnel. So I like to talk to people. And where I talk to people is on the social media platforms. Um, so predominantly, I am mostly on Facebook. Um, I am also on Instagram, and I am also on Clubhouse, which I love. If you are not on Clubhouse yet, you need to be on Clubhouse. Um, I am on Twitter and LinkedIn, but not so much as the other three. So um, I believe that I am on there as I am Tracy Miller on Instagram. On Clubhouse, it is Tracy Miller. And on Facebook, it is um, TracyMiller.PPHC, because for Pink Powerhouse Company. So any of those platforms work. I welcome DM messages. I answer DM messages. I do not have someone that pretends to be me that answers DM messages for me. So you get me when you DM me. <laughs> so, so they're not getting an imposter. <laughs> exactly. Way to wrap it back uh, and, and for our listeners, Tracy is spelled T-R-A-C-I. Yes. If yes. you're looking in particular. So those are for our listeners uh, of the podcast. Well, Tracy, thanks for joining us today. It has been a very eye-opening and enlightening conversation. Uh, I could have gone on for about another hour. And if I have any questions, I'm going to come up with another episode and that will include Tracy Miller and talking about imposter syndrome. So thank you for joining us today, Tracy. Thanks You're so welcome, much. Luke. And thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you, Craig, for um, posting and for chatting with me and realizing that um, I could contribute to this podcast and this conversation. So I appreciate both of you very much. All, All right. right. Thank you very much. Well, Craig, that was a tremendous interview uh, with Tracy. I truly uh, learned a lot. And uh, I hope that all of our listeners and viewers will also take the time to learn a lot. Uh, one, knowing if you suffer from imposter syndrome, but two, if people that you're working with who have the potential to be truly great leaders within your organization, if it's something that they are suffering from and you need to give them that reinforcement that they can do it. It's not something that is outside of their wheelhouse. Uh, this, this impacted me more than probably any interview we've done in our 90 episodes of Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership. Wow. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I can I can truly say uh, this one had a significant impact on me. So Tra Tracy does a great job explaining and also defining the, the importance of, of why 
uh, anyone, man or woman, need to identify if they suffer from imposter syndrome. So if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. We're always there. Like, share, subscribe, and you can listen to us on Apple or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. So until next time, keep learning to be the best leader you can be. I'm Lou Quinto. And I'm Craig Anderson. 